0: Hi, and welcome to Jackie Winter Gives You the Business. I'm Jeremy Wartzman.
1: I'm Bianca Bremen. And I am the ghost of Lara Chan Baker.
0: Jackie Winter Gives You the Business is a weekly podcast from the Jackie Winter Group. We're a creative production and representation studio based in Melbourne and New York City. This podcast is an opportunity for our two studios to come together each week and provide an insight into the creative industry from our unique point of view as the bridge between clients and creatives. Using the internet as our lens, we hope to explore a variety of current events, opinions, and tools to provide thought-provoking conversation for anyone whose job it is to bring creative things to life. Remember that this is an enhanced podcast. If you listen to this using the PocketCast, Overcast, or Castro podcatchers, you can directly link to the articles discussed here as well as get enhanced visual content as we move along. This season, we're rolling on with our extended OpenTabs segments that you know and love. This week, we'll be delving into the art of side projects, pint-sized crowdfunding, and the art of getting out of your comfort zone and faking it until we make it. Much like our IRL OpenTabs events, which you can find out more about at OpenTabs.Rodeo, we're digging deep into our JW network of amazing people to contribute their own link and thoughts to each episode. And today, we are delighted to welcome Madeline Doerr to the studio as this week's special guest. Madeline is a freelance writer and founder of Extraordinary Routines, a project featuring interviews, life experiments, and articles that explore the intersection between creativity and imperfection. Longtime listeners might remember when we talked about Madeline's month-long experiment of having absolutely no social life, um, which Madeline, I can tell you, is basically just what happens when you have kids. (laughs) She's written for the BBC, 99U, Sunday Life, Kinfolk, and about a million more. And recently, she just founded a free event series, Side Project Sessions, to help create a space for people to work on their passion projects, which we'll chat more about later. Adeline, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks so much for having me. I think that everyone at the Jackie Winter Group is incredible. So oh, you're pretty here.
0: good yourself. Thanks so much. <laughs> B. how are you going? You're back in New York now? I'm
2: back in
1: summer and I'm so excited. Yes. <laughs> how about you, Jeremy?
0: <laughs> I'm all good. I'm ready to get stuck back into it, getting into the end of the financial year. I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling very good okay so this week i'm going to get things started um and i'm going to talk about actually another podcast um and i guess this is a bit selfish the reason that this is in my links this week because this is a podcast that i was recently kind of featured on but funnily enough for some reason i hadn't i, I had subscribed to the podcast but i wasn't getting notifications on it so i literally had only just kind of listened to it the other day um and it's a podcast called talking design and it's by well it's hosted by a man named Stephen crafty Stephen is a um more primarily a journalist but he also does some really amazing kind of architectural tours as well and the reason i wanted to kind of talk about it because i mean the way that um the way that we were connected with steven was through nest architects who um did the fit out for our office and steven kind of came by and did a bit of an interview and kind of featured our office um, in the age where he writes for but then, you know, while we were kind of talking, I was showing him the office and showing him the, the kind of studio we record in. He said, like, you know, well, I have a podcast as well. And it was like, who doesn't have a podcast these days? Um, but it turns out that Stephen's podcast has actually been going since 2011. And it's an amazing archive of, yeah, mm. I know. So, and that's why I kind of want to talk about it. Um, had any of you heard of this podcast before, um, you know, before I put in this week's notes at all?
2: I hadn't, admittedly.
0: Are you a big podcast person? That I
2: have? am a big podcast person. I um, try to keep- up to date especially with interview based podcasts so it was surprising not to sort of uncover a local interview-based project.
0: Well, yeah, that's kind of another reason why I kind of want to bring it up and kind of get, you know, some of your feedback on it. I mean, just to give a bit of an overview, um, you know, so it's the podcast itself, I think, is somewhat subsidized or supported by RMIT University, which is kind of a local design-focused um, university here in Melbourne. Um, and I don't, I'm don't. i looking at the SoundCloud page here, which only has the last kind of 45 episodes, but I think there are kind of close to 100. And one of the things that I really, I mean, that I really love about it is that They're they're interviews, but they're kind of short. They're only kind of around 20 to 30 minutes. I listened to yours on the
1: subway this morning, Jeremy. It was very good.
0: How'd I do? Yeah, it was pretty good.
2: Why was it
1: being
0: on the (laughs) other side? it's it's hard for me to kind of talk succinctly, as you can probably yeah. tell now in every episode of the podcast that we go double our length. But it was also interesting to see, yeah, how we, you know, could get kind of content shorter. But I just think in terms of an archive of Australian design, like I think it's a phenomenal thing. And it's I guess this is a bit of a recurring theme in the things that I'm kind of representing because I'm on this kind of trip at the moment, in kind of doing research and just kind of trying to find out, you know, a bit more. But as um yeah, as someone who is kind of an immigrant to Australia in some ways and, you know, really always discovering kind of the rich history. I've been here, you know, for for still like 15 years. I'm still kind of discovering people kind of through this podcast. But Madeline, I'm really kind of interested in hearing in hearing from you like a bit more about, yeah, like why why these kind of projects are kind of important. And especially from an interview perspective, did you pick up anything, you know, listening to this or like, you know, going through the archives at all?
2: Well, what I found really impressive is the huge repository that it is and going since 2011. So I think I was just um, really blown away by someone who can kind of stick to something month after month, week after week, year after year uh, and create such a rich archive of Australian design. And also, so I think I was zooming in on what sort of motivated Stephen to keep on going, especially if perhaps it is a little bit more under the radar. Um, what is it that motivates someone to continue to live through their project and and keep adding to the archive so I was really impressed by that um, and in particular kind of wanted to know what was behind that consistency
0: He's. I think he'd be a great person to interview, actually, for Ooh. one of your series. One thing that I, th- that I thought was interesting is, is as well, like the fact that this is a podcast and was started in 2011. Like you know, kind of before really this kind of podcast renaissance. But at the same time, like a lot was happening in the world of radio as well. And I feel that podcast as a medium like really kind of suit this kind of archival format um, in a way that I don't think radio does as well. Like radio is just so much more ephemeral, and like you had to kind of listen to it at that time. And I remember, I mean, there's a big focus on architecture in. Talking design, and there was a great show on Triple R, one of the local community stations here called The Architects, and they did amazing long form kind of interviews with architects. And I feel like a lot of that has been lost in kind of some ways. Like, I haven't looked at the Triple R archives, I don't know kind of what they're like, but yeah, like I think podcasting as a medium um, really kind of suits that better for this kind of deep dive of learning. And I think, you know, one thing. I wanted to kind of tie this back to in in some ways was this idea of kind of blogging as well and how one you know we we do reference one of your sites or the one we talked about the top extraordinary routines as as something that a lot of people kind of point back to about that we're seeing this kind of renaissance of blogging kind of in this way I'm just kind of curious like you started extraordinary routines kind of as this kind of personal project as well it's kind of gone on to a life of its own where do you kind of like how do you kind of see you know your project kind of fitting in with I guess this archive of Australian design in the same way? like Is your focus Australian as well, or has it kind of grown to be a bit broader?
2: Mm, That's a really interesting question because I don't think that I've formulated much thinking around my own project. It's very much been just one foot in front of the other for a few years. Um, So to kind of think of it as an archive or repository in itself is kind of a surprise to even me. Um, It has just been following my own curiosities. So people, that I'm personally curious about um, and then kind of expanding from there. So it did start local because that's what I had access to. Um, My first interview was with my friend and then their friend and then it kind of was able to snowball from there. Um, and then it was able to snowball to the point that I was reaching people in New York that I really admired. And that's not something that I envisioned starting out interviewing my friend in a cafe. Um, so now as a whole, looking back and it's it's four years worth of interviews, it does kind of resemble more of an archive and there's some richness that I can kind of now dive into myself. Um, but I think that's the beauty of side projects is that they surprise even yourself.
0: Mm. Yeah. Now, I really want to hear more about your project side project sessions in a bit. I think this whole idea about how kind of relationships can kind of spark projects, um, you know, either as kind of a creator or, you know, even as, you know, I think you know, one thing I always try to do here is kind of tie this back to kind of production as well. And I think this whole kind of idea of kind of networking in terms of, you know, starting with the people that you know, first, and eventually that will just kind of, you know, grow naturally the people that you can kind of access. That's how I got involved with this podcast, which is kind of through, you know, periphery rings of people. And I think, yeah, it's a great way to kind of approach, you know, listening and educating yourself as well, especially with a podcast like this, you kind of go and you start first, and you kind of find someone that you might be interested in or something that you kind of know about, and they might kind of mention somebody else. And then it kind of goes from there but i really love the idea as well that this is kind of a non-discipline kind of specific podcast um so i think if you're interested in australia or in australian design especially some of the real rich history that happened you know in like the 90s um or you know A lot of practices that I'd never kind of heard about a lot of times, like, you know, I think with social media, you can be kind of in your own bubble of the things that you like and you don't really kind of see outside that. So I love the fact that these archives exist and um, we'll definitely post a link there for people to delve into it a bit more further. Moving on, we have Bianca's link for the week. You picked a new project from Kickstarter. Can you tell us a bit more about Quickstarter, what it is and why you picked it?
1: Quickstarter is a new initiative from everyone's favorite crowdfunding platform kickstarter um it isn't a new platform or anything like that but it's simply a manifesto um to help creators just get started with small, stress-free projects. It is a place for low-budget ideas that can be conceived and delivered within a very short timeframe, or as Kickstarter puts it, the kind of ideas you do mostly for fun. And I kind of picked it for a number of reasons. One, because it's kind of very relevant to sort of like the side projects and um, a lot of the experiments and things that, Madeline, you explore in your kind of like uh, off time and your practice. But, I mean, Kickstarter, I guess their intention is wanting creators to use it for their perhaps first foray into making, um, maybe a sketch for a larger idea or a creative experiment that you want to share. So really kind of like scaling down and simplifying something that you want to create. So the manifesto it was um, inspired by a guy called Oscar Lemit, and it's something that he kind of was using for his own projects to kind of explore smaller scale projects and put a few rules in place to um like a framework to kind of like allow him to sort of like just get started and learn very quickly so the rules are there's nine of them Um, you must plan the project in three months or less so there's a time frame keep the campaign under 20 days the funding goal should be under a thousand dollars the offer rewards under fifty dollars Um, Instead of doing, you know, how Kickstarter campaigns have sometimes these like elaborate uh, launch videos that, um, yeah, look like they've, you know, got a full production team behind them. The rule here is to shoot the video in a day. Um, No PR or media outreach unless contacted. So really trying to allow like a stress-free environment to kind of like just get started with an idea. No paid ads on social media, no stretch goals. And of course, include Kickstarter in your campaign name. Um, So Kickstarter embraced Oscar's vision and created a landing page which is populated with an inaugural list of campaigns and some of these include a shelf and hook combination, a peg, another hook, um, some simple leather webcam covers, a few different card games and a candlestick made from polyurethane foam.
0: I haven't had like many positive Kickstarter experiences, mostly because I buy really terrible things like, you know, pillows for airplanes and weird mechanical birds. Madeline, have you bought anything? Have you backed anything at Kickstarter at all?
2: Not for a long time that I can that I can recall, but I, what I really appreciated about this is that it doesn't necessarily need to be a product. I love that there was a category for an illustration or journalism. And so I can see the potential there for it to expand, to kind of fund creative projects that aren't just kind of gimmicks
0: do any of this particular project call out to you slash have you backed anything on Kickstarter at all?
1: I have never backed anything on Kickstarter, but I do like the sentiment behind this, but in the way that it kind of like encourages scaling back and it intends to inspire people and creators to just get started, which is obviously one of the hardest parts about getting anything done is just taking that first step. But one of the things that immediately kind of struck me about this, and I know that rules are meant to be broken and the manifesto is definitely not by any means um, you know uh, like explicit rules that need to be followed um, for a quick starter campaign but I do I I did kind of wonder and and Madeline kind of going back to your point about like could this be something that helps fund creative people I do wonder whether perhaps setting a limit on the funding goal to be under a thousand dollars has like the potential to devalue craft and ideas in a way that platforms like fiverr or ninety nine designs might. That was the reason that I kind of like picked this and, and wanted to talk about it.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting because I, I do agree. Like, I think that there's no reason you can't do a small project and be a bit more ambitious with the business side of things. I think having that as a rule is a bit restrictive. But at the same time, I kind of understand that Kickstarter itself has become this kind of platform that really rewards, or you know, th- that people are kind of looked to. Well, I mean, it is a bank in kind of some ways, but like that requires so much effort to put into how you market a product that can really put you at a disadvantage if you don't have access to kind of all those things. So I kind of understand that by keeping it to under $1,000, that might like limit larger kind of companies from doing kind of bigger projects there. So it levels the playing field a bit more, but I don't think it's stopping people from, you know, funding things or kind of overfunding like to a thousand dollars. So I don't know. It, it didn't, it didn't strike me as anything kind of too negative there. Did you have any thoughts on that Madeline at all?
2: With the lower funding goal, uh, what I thought was kind of interesting about it is how it actually makes asking for money kind of accessible, more accessible. Mm. Um, I think that that can be a real block or barrier for creatives to actually, um, kind of get people to support their project or reach out when they need help in terms of finances. So I think that that could be a nice little introduction to kind of monetizing your projects
0: and things. I mean, we, we've talked a lot about different kind of platforms here to support creative practice. And it's interesting to see Kickstarter kind of thinking a bit more laterally on how they can work with other, you know, non physical objects here in terms of, you know, someone like yourself who is, who, who does a lot of side projects. Can you see yourself using this? How have you funded your own kind of projects in this regard?
2: I've funded them through day jobs. Yeah. Um, and there's been some uh, funding. My own side projects has caused kind of friction within myself. Um, there's there's a lot of kind of large outlays you have to make. If you want to get a trademark, that can be upwards of $500. Even getting kind of a Squarespace um, yearly membership. It, it When you're self-funding, it is a big chunk of money. So I think with this kind of thing, it would actually be really accessible because you could go through the grants option. That's a lot of admin and uh, no kind of security about whether you'll get the grant. You could go the sponsorship model, but then that might kind of compromise your vision for your project. Um, so you do need to put a lot of thought and um, also a lot of admin into kind of making sure that you have the right sponsorship partnership. Um, so this kind of option is great. It's kind of just being able to put it out to friends and, um, and family and kind of letting it spread on its own if it has its momentum. So I think I would use something like this.
0: Are you actively considering anything like this? You you said you had a few things on the boil. Is anything kind of, should we look forward to anything there or is it kind of under wraps at the moment?
2: Uh, Well, I think I need to first get over that (laughs) problem of finding it hard to ask for money (laughs) before I do this. Um, At the moment, I think that I, (laughs) I have a momentum and can sort of sustain myself as is. But if there was a new idea that popped up, this could be something that I could pursue.
0: Well, speaking of new ideas, maybe you could tell us a bit more about side project sessions, which is kind of, I guess, one of these side projects that you're working on at the moment.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like a babushka doll of (laughs) side projects, side project about side projects. Um, So This actually came out of Extraordinary Routines. Um, After kind of interviewing upwards of 100 people, um, I started to pick out themes. And one thing that I noted was that Almost everyone that I interviewed, um, part of their success could definitely be attributed to their own side project. So, if you look at someone like Zoe Foster Blake, um, throughout her 20s, when she was a beauty editor, she was spending her weekends writing books. And now that set her up for an amazing career, along with other kind of soap projects that she's dabbled in. Um, Another great example is Chaz Hutton, who when he was working as an architect, he was drawing cartoons and illustrations on post-it notes and sharing them on Instagram. And now that sustains his career as an illustrator and author. So, I saw this thread coming up. But then, on the other hand, I also saw how much people struggle with sticking to their own personal projects or starting um, or keeping up momentum or finding the time or getting over self doubt. There's all these barriers and blocks to it. Um, So, side project sessions is kind of taking the wisdom of the people who knew how to work on their side project or kind of had the discipline and creating a space for those like myself who don't necessarily have the natural discipline or accountability and creating a space for people to come along every second Sunday. Uh, We use Pomodoro method, which is um, traditionally 25 minutes of distraction-free working with a five-minute break. I've expanded that to kind of replicate the school period where it's 45 minutes and then like a little recess. Um, And yeah, we kind of do a few blocks of those. And it's amazing what you can achieve in just three hours and the momentum that gives you for the next kind of fortnight.
0: Mm. How many have you done so far?
2: Uh, this Sunday will be the 5th. Wow. So, yeah.
0: Are you, has, has it been in any other cities or are you considering it trying to do it in Definitely other places? Definitely considering
2: there's been interest, which is really lovely. Like that would be something wonderful that if kind of it could expand Australia-wide and more people are working on their projects or creative ideas and, and putting themselves first rather than kind of getting lost in their own to-do list or life admin.
0: It's interesting. I mean, we were talking about this before the show about this idea of kind of accountability. And I think um wh- one thing that Kickstarter ultimately offers is that accountability because you know well you don't get the money until you're kind of fully funded and at that point yeah you are accountable to the people you know that have kind of funded you so you kind of need to deliver in that way i think that's such a powerful factor and it's something that i hear a lot from the artists that we represent who are kind of working freelance sometimes in their own you know isolated spaces like you know they self-initiated work is such a huge part, whether it's a side project, whether kind of developing your folio. I've always kind of said that the the people who have the biggest folios and the largest body of work are the ones who are most successful and get the most work. But it can be hard to do that kind of in a vacuum, like or not mm-hmm. having a brief. So whether it's being kind of in a co-working space or being part of an event, um, you know, where there you know is a bit more of a physical community, I think that's, yeah, that's really important. B, I mean, just to kind come, come back to this point of accountability, when it comes to, you know, yourself semi-working, remotely i mean we've got a growing team in the new york office and you know you're we're sharing with another team as well um you know how do you find kind of keeping that sense of accountability to the team here in melbourne or you know is it something that's kind of not part of your day
1: madeline there's one of the articles that you wrote um gosh probably about it maybe a year ago where it was um lessons on being the worst freelancer and I just remember reading that i just moved to New York and it was um, it was a very big shock for me, like suddenly going from like a very active production office where I was surrounded by, you know, 10, 12 people every day um, to suddenly being on my own for a couple of months and without the routine of, you know, like a normal working environment around me and suddenly having to manage my own energy and my own time and my own environment and all of those things like it came as such a shock and I just remember reading that article and just thinking holy shit this resonated with me so much like I think like routine is really important and um, yeah I know that the like having people around me and having a space to go to I don't think I would be very Um, I don't think I'd be very successful if I, if I worked from home, like I just don't think that that's the kind of person that I am, like someone that can really thrive. Like, I mean, I like to have like focused time and I like to, you know, be able to kind of uh, like plug in and, and, just like do things, but I I do need kind of people around me and I do need things around me. And, and, you know, knowing that like the team is coming online, you know, towards the end of my day in Australia was really helpful for me, but also, I mean, like, just like, I love a deadline. And I also, you know, I think the, the time zone difference was a really big help for me, um, knowing that, you know, like I need something when I wake up the next morning, um, so that's a really good kind of like kick up the ass to actually get things done.
2: Mm, I love that, and it it just goes to show how much experimentation it takes, especially if you're just starting out as a freelancer or just starting out working remotely. Um, it's not going to be immediate; that it's going to hit the ground running and and really ace your routine. It's going to take a lot of tweaking and um, experimenting. Can I ask you a question though Jeremy? Absolutely. I think that I see you as someone who's very good at being self-initiated and able to start projects from scratch and execute ideas. So what is it for you? What's the ingredient? What do you need accountability? Do you need structure?
0: Whew, that's a good question. I think no, I think for me, you know, a lot of kind of starting new projects is just trying to lower the bar for risk as much as possible so if i can make sure and i think you know from a business perspective i've always tried to make sure that we are actively can fund our own kind of new projects as well like without putting kind of financial stress on it i think that's um and you know doing kind of our own quote-unquote fundraising in terms of you know having the business kind of sometimes subsidize other areas of things um i always talk about when we started is not magazine the very first thing we did was we had a jumble sale called welcome to the jumble um which was fantastic um but yeah we literally just kind of sold all of the you know the things that we had to you know afford kind of our first print run and then we did it through parties as well so like developed that kind of community there um that actively kind of funded it like you know through the things that we were doing um and that i think was a really inf- informative kind of experience for me like how you could kind of still do you can do multiple projects that are kind of like you know spokes on a wheel that they might kind of seem divergent but they still come back to something kind of in one central way and do it in a way where like you know i always kind of consider any kind of money that I'm spending on it to begin with is money that it's okay if we don't make back or completely lose as well. So I guess lowering that kind of bar, I think that helps and hurts in kind of some ways because I think that like that kind of $1,000 limit, I think it always, it, it sets us at a maximum kind of scale of a project that we can do. And I think the longer the business has grown, like the more kind of challenge that I want and the more the bigger kind of project I want to work on. So we're finding ways to kind of do that in more um you know, it would have to be a bit more kind of creative in how kind of those projects get done. Um, but I, I yeah that's the one thing that I love to do is to use those limitations as a force for figuring out alternative ways. And yeah, I mean, I talk about is not a lot because, you know, it's just it was so formative in so many ways. But when we were doing that project, it's like, well, we wanted to make a magazine, but we had no money, but we didn't let that stop us from making something. We just had to figure out kind of a different medium to do it in. So I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of people think that there's just certain ways that you have to do things. Like if you want to do a web product or if you want to start a fashion label, or if you want to make anything, there's this preconceived notion that it has to be done kind of in a certain way because that's how it's been done. But I suppose I try to always think as laterally as possible to think about alternative ways that it could be done. So yeah, I don't know. Long answer. To That's a short why you're question. a genius, though. Not, good. Not, a genius, a not a genius. Not a genius. Moving on, Madeline, you bring us a link that is pretty fresh, only from June eleventh. Here, um, it looks like it's coming from again. Everyone seems to have a home on Medium these days. This is um, from Evernote's um, spot on Medium. I'm curious as well, Madeline. You know, as someone who is always kind of pushing out content as well, you seem to be someone who's very versed in the internet. Where do you find your links? Um, and tell us about this and why you picked it.
2: I am all for the newsletter. So I recently did a huge overhaul of my email subscriptions so that I could curate it and get the best of the best. And now opening my email is like a little treat. I love it. What Um, are your kind
0: of, like, how many newsletters are you subscribed to?
2: I would say that it's now at the point where it's, Fifteen really solid ones. Really, Um, and so I recently compiled my top ten, so I can definitely add that to the show notes.
0: Please do. Um, Can you tell us if, like, if there's, if if you're in a really crazy day and you have to delete all, you have to delete nine of them, and only have time to read one, which would it be? Oh, that's hard.
2: That's hard. (laughs) I would, I I would just rather kind of fall behind on a deadline. Um, Oh, I'm going to have to go with Swiss Miss, which I know it's been mentioned um, quite a bit here on the Jackie Winter group as well. Um, It's just, I think that she's a central hub for a lot of other newsletter curators and a lot of people are um, digging up wonderful links. So her Friday link pack is, is Ooh, great.
0: Love it. Yeah. I love it because it's kind of like, it's like a newsletter, but it's in a blog post as well. Cause I use RSS for everything. And that's like the one, usually I'm just blazing through my RSS, but that post when she posted on Friday or Saturday here, it's one that I always yeah definitely come back to. Is this where you, fa- is that where you found this piece? No.
2: So this one um, is from Thomas who curates Postainly Weekly um, and that is a Friday link pack, which um, all curates kind of behavioral change articles. Um, and I probably save to pocket nine out of 10 of those links. Um, so it keeps me busy. Um, this one in particular was interesting. So it's introvert or extrovert, here's how to boost your productivity. And what I really liked about it is that I think that it addresses the common confusion about what is an introvert and what is an extrovert and that kind of um mistake that people make about introverts being shy and extroverts being outgoing, when really it's a lot about how you recharge and where you get your energy from. So I love that about this article, but then it actually take, took it a little bit further um, and broke down the different types of introverts and extroverts that they are. So there was a uh, there's a social introvert who kind of fits that mold of someone who likes to spend a lot of time alone. There's a thinking introvert where someone who kind of, who's, is not adverse to kind of being social, but is spending a lot of time in their heads when they're doing so. There's the anxious introvert who might be kind of more socially self-conscious and that kind of thing. And then there's the restrained introvert who might take a lot of time to reflect on something. So it might be a bit quieter in a meeting, um, but is actually being really productive in their minds. So I love that because it just goes to show it's sort of not black and white. There's this scale um, or this spectrum and we ourselves can kind of flip between them. Sometimes I feel more extroverted. Sometimes I feel more introverted. And it's great to sort of see the differences there.
0: Interesting. Um, B, did you identify with any of these kind of descriptions? Where do you think you fall I always
1: thought I was an extroverted introvert, but I did the test. There's a test um, at the end of this uh, article and I'm an ambivert. I'm just like in the middle. I go both ways. I'm a true Gemini in every sense of the word. Like I can be extremely... Um, I'm someone that loves – like, I'm so fascinated by people and I love, you know, meeting new people. But then I just get to the point where I'm like, no, I'm done with socialising and completely switch off and there is no getting me back. Like, I just kind of have to, like, leave a situation. Um, Yeah, I'm definitely – on both sides and I think that I think one of the interesting things about this article was uh, kind of like revealed a lot for me about my own personality in terms of I mean I know that the switch between introversion and extroversion for me is in, usually incredibly sudden um and so this was really nice to kind of see that like there are ways that I you know can maybe think about my environment and um think about how I'm actually using my time and and Kind of try and manage that, so I'm not getting to the point where I just switch off and don't want to say anything.
0: Working with wide arrays of personalities, both clients and artists, B is something that we have to do all the time. Um, you know, the the crux of this article is kind of talking about. I guess, identifying one of these to boost your productivity. Can you see how that can actually be applied kind of in our work um, as producers? Oh,
1: definitely. I think understanding different personalities and and one of the things that I think like, you know, an, an ambivert kind of being a little bit of both and perhaps having a little bit more empathy and in terms of understanding what it feels like to be like introverted and what it feels like to be extroverted can be really helpful when you are communicating with different kinds of people. Yeah. I mean, Jeremy, I'm curious, like you're, I would imagine that you fall on the introversion side, which might be a surprise for a lot of people.
0: This is something that I've that I've been thinking about a lot lately. I don't know, for some reason I've noticed in the last few years, there's been a lot more writing about introverts. And I know that there was that article that was going around a lot, like, you know, how to care for your introvert. Have you seen that one? Um, and then there's a lot of kind of, you know, counter arguments to that just kind of saying, well, introverts are just kind of assholes. Um, <laughs> And I, I, you know, I do think there's a bit of kind of, there's something kind of in that. I I think that the nature, I don't, again, I I don't want to turn this into hashtag hate technology again, but the fact that we're, we're so much more kind of cerebral because of, Existing on our kind of devices, I think that is leading to a larger kind of class of introverts. And obviously, with any kind of trend, there's always kind of reactions, kind of, you know, everything's a reaction to what kind of happened previously. So I think there's going to be kind of a reaction or kind of backlash to introversion, and maybe we're going to get more extroversion in, you know, in society or in kind of in our experiences and or in our kind of work culture in kind of different ways. But I, yeah, I don't know. Like, I definitely feel that, you know, from a young age that, yeah, I'm definitely someone who needs that kind of time like physically like I just kind of feel like when I'm around people or doing anything Um, you know, that expends mental energy, like I get exhausted, like, you know, quite easily. And that just might be my disposition. However, at the same time, like, I think I recognize that being around people or being out in the world is something that you need. Like, I think the idea of ambiversion, of ambiverts is really kind of interesting. And I'm always kind of interested in kind of what that middle way is like the point between kind of two extremes. And I think it's dangerous to spend too much time in your head for, for lots of different reasons. And I but I think at the same time, it's really hard to make social connections. And it's really harder when there's barriers like such of, as our devices that, you know, literally kind of get in the way of kind of two people communicating. I say this as I'm kind of literally in between an iPad between Madeline here in the studio. <laughs> but I kind of think that's why it's really important for our practice in Jackie Winter. Like that's why the like, that's why doing this podcast or having the gallery and having gallery events or kind of going out and trying to meet clients is, you know, something that is it's hard for certain people to kind of do i know one thing i don't know i i haven't spoken about i know that a lot of people um know that sometimes even for our own gallery opening sometimes i can be kind of stuck upstairs you know just hiding from people at some times because i find yeah lots of lots of that kind of social interaction kind of really hard to navigate um just in terms of like yeah it, it takes kind of a real skill but i think by doing it it creates it creates the foundations for you know better kind of mental health and all these things. So I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with being an introvert and kind of owning to that kind of introversion. But I think kind of the permissive environment that gives people just permission to be kind of a full-on introvert and just kind of own and say like that's okay, that's kind of who you are. I think I don't know. That's a bit kind of problematic. And I think either I think the idea of ambiversion, which I hadn't read about before reading this article, is something that I'm kind of very attracted to. Mm.
2: And to add to that, I, I totally agree. I think that there's this fine balance between. Um, Pushing your comfort zone um, and learning from that experience, and also recognizing what you need. So I think what's great about this article is kind of knowing what how you need to tailor your environment or your um, your approach to work to kind of get the most out of your own introversion or extroversion. And for me, I've it took me a long time to realize that I'm not strange for kind of f- having this introvert hangover after a lot of um, a high intense like social. Um, Interaction, like be it a gallery opening or um, a dinner party, and needing that next day to just decompress. Um, so, what this has taught me is that I can do the hard things. I can kind of host a fortnightly side project sessions, which is surrounded by people, um, but just know that I then need the afternoon to kind of chill out and completely be by myself.
0: Absolutely. Madeline, thank you so much for bringing this link in. And speaking of links, um, there must be a bevy of different places where people can find more about you and your project or you personally. um, Where can we hear more about you and what is going through your mind?
2: Well, Extraordinary Routines is um, definitely the go-to. Um, there's a few different sections now as it's expanding. So yep. there's the archive of interviews, there's my experiments, and there's also a musing section where I'm diving, starting to dive back into the interviews and pulling out gems and kind of writing more about what I've learned from those interviews um, and that kind of thing. So that's exciting.
0: Amazing. Well, we will put all of your links up as well as all the links that we've discussed today on our show notes, which you can find, as always, on our podcast-specific page at biz. Mm -hmm. Closing, as we are trying to do every week, is our very ill-informed final section, um, affectionately known as hashtag having a whinge based off of a Slack channel um, that I'm very active in another Slack group. I don't actually have anything to whinge about. What I'm kind of thinking about doing here is making this a a whinge or endorsement, so it can go either way. Like if we have something to recommend, we can recommend thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> exactly. I think that's that could be a good new name for this segment without Laura here to um you know tell me it's a bad idea. I'm just going to go ahead with it, and I'm going to start with my a thumbs up for this week. Um, it's something new that I've kind of started, which is I don't know whether it's out of kind of the fact that I'm very averse to carrying heavy things. Um, I. Um, I'm a noted uh, giver-upper of playing the saxophone because I couldn't carry it to my um, elementary school where I was trying to learn how to play saxophone. Also, the reed smelled really funny of saliva. Anyway, I found that yeah, I was just really getting annoyed having to take my laptop home every day, and so I have have now transitioned kind of fully to my iPad with my nine point well, I think nine point seven inch iPad Pro with the smart keyboard and. This is a total hashtag endorsement because it's just been it's been a total game changer for me in so many different ways. Like it's I feel just really kind of you know really kind of free in terms of I don't know why it's just, it just it, I feel a bit more kind of untethered. Um, and I don't know, I really recommend it. So like, yeah, leaving the laptop at work. Having the iPad, I take that kind of home with me, and it kind of also limits the kind of work that I'm able to kind of do as well, and it makes me just kind of forces me to be a bit more efficient. But yeah, I don't know. It's just it's it's a nicer experience to kind of delineate the kind of work experience and leaving that at the office and having, I guess, a different kind of computing experience. And for someone who is very kind of attached to my devices, I think it's been yeah, it's been a positive thing without me having to kind of give up something kind of completely. So that is my thumbs up for this week. B, do you have a endorsement or? Or a whinge you would like to voice for the well, week? I guess
1: mine's actually a dabble. It's a it's a whinge and an endorsement at the same time. I this weekend I saw one of my favorite Australian bands three nights in a row, King Gizzard and The Lizard Wizard. And honestly, I'm just gonna whinge that they're not playing every single night of the week.
0: <laughs> so they're they're in like full gem band territory now, right? Like
1: no, they're not. I mean, they're like, I guess their following is getting into jam band territory.
0: I don't but, know. You were here uh, recently. You you wore a Grateful Dead shirt one day. and like, <laughs> I, I just don't know who you are anymore.
1: I feel like New York's
0: changed you in a Why weird way.
1: I... <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm just
2: trying to find my people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think you have. Um, Madeline, what about yourself? Do you have anything that you'd particularly like to endorse or complain about this week?
2: Oh, I love Bianca's, you know, roll it into, you know, uh, two in one. Um, so I'm going to do a thumbs up for the shout out of where I got this whinge. So this is an uh, Ask Polly, which is written by Heather Heverlasky, Um And she has a weekly advice column that's always full of gold. Um, and yesterday's letter was about um, this woman who was sick of making plans with her friends. She loves her friends, but she hates the idea of scheduling, the whole idea of let's catch up Tuesday. And it's like, oh, I'm not free Tuesday. What about next Friday? What about a month from now? And so that's my wind as well, is that I also dislike this scheduling. Um, and as much as I want to see my friends, I don't want to have to go through that process of picking the day when I might not actually feel like it, when that day eventually rolls around.
0: So what? how do you then make time to see your friends then?
2: Well, her, rec- her kind of, I guess there's a lot of ways that we can nurture friendships without actually seeing them physically. Um, so that's kind of phone calls and checking in. And the, the uh, letter writer was actually describing herself as a, you know how there's like that whole idea of fair weather friend? She's actually an unfair weather friend. I don't think someone I've heard who, that concept. A fair weather friend is someone who's only around for the good times and the good the good feels, whereas an unfair-weather friend is someone who's there for the hard times. So she was expressing her friendship and her commitment to her friendship in other ways rather than just having to schedule time to spend together. Ooh, so it's a bit controversial. but
0: No, yeah, that's a really rich topic. I don't know. For some reason, it reminds me of that um, Bob Mankoff famous New Yorker cartoon where he's on the phone and says, how about never? Does never work for you? <laughs> It's no oh, so fields. brutal to
2: say that. So you end up scheduling.
0: It is brutal, but th- there's the accountability. I think it's important to you know make those kind of times and kind of keep up with that and have that kind of face time. But maybe yes, for introverts, it's a bit harder. Sometimes. Yeah,
2: exactly. And that's the recommendation: is to kind of um, be honest and say that you need some alone time and we can catch up later and i love my friends i really should say that (laughs) i want to see them but just the scheduling part i hate that mine is the the i hate the like let's
1: let's get on a skype call and i'm like just pick up the phone and call me and if i answer it'll be fine
2: yeah don't schedule the skype call
0: (laughs) madeline thanks so much for coming on and sharing your thoughts and links with us today
2: thank you so much it was great to chat with you both
0: thank you B. thank you This has been Jackie Winter Gives You The Business. Jackie Winter Gives You The Business is a weekly podcast about creative project management and production and just making things happen in general. Our producer is Areej Noor. You can find the Jackie Winter group mostly on Instagram at Jackie Winter. That's Jackie with a Y and winter like the season. You can also email us with any recommendations, feedback or questions or comments at podcast at JackieWinter.com. We know you are listening to this. We know you're listening to it right now email us. Do you like what we're doing? It'd be really good to know. We always like a bit of feedback or any kind of questions or any suggestions. Drop us a line. We're also now on Stitcher as well as Spotify if that is your thing. To receive all of the links we talk about on the show each week in one nice little tidy email, you can sign up to our podcast-specific newsletter at tinyletter.com slash Jackie Winter, and archives of all of our shows and show notes can be found at biz. Our theme music is by Melbourne-based musician Jackie Winter. You can check out his stuff on soundcloud.com slash Jackie Winter. If you love what you hear, you can really help us out by subscribing and commenting on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. Details are on our website. Again, biz. Thanks for listening. Catch you next week. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Laura tried to write in a joke here that I can't pull off. (laughs)
2: I'm interested in hearing the joke. (laughs)